Hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome to Discovery Point Church. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. And you who are online, welcome to our worship service. I hope that you've been inspired to go out and serve Jesus today. How are we doing today? Good. Welcome. Will you pray with me? Uh, Our Father, we just want to say thank you for uh, another day when we can gather together to worship you and to lift up the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord Jesus, we pray that as we embark upon your word that you would give us ears to hear. We pray that you've already prepared the, the, the good ground in our hearts and that you give us understanding as we talk about your love today. Father, we pray that your word would equip us to engage a world that hates you. And by your spirit, empower us to love those who are unlovable. Lord Jesus, we love you. We ask you to bless our time as we uh, come to your word and we ask these things in your name. Amen. You know, one of my favorite hymns uh, is a hymn that we don't hear much today, but it's called, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. Are you familiar with that? No? <laughs> you don't want to hear me sing to say, but part of, the, part of the lyrics is that it talks about the love of God. And it says that God's love is vast, unmeasured, boundless, and free. God's love is vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. And the second verse says that how he loves us, he ever loves us, that he changes never, never more. And the hymn reminds me personally that no matter what I do, no matter where I find myself, that God loves me. And the same is true for you. But oftentimes, the world gets into our heads, and we start taking our theology from the culture. And the culture says sometimes, you know, God doesn't love you, because when you sin, God stops loving you, and he, he looks for ways to punish you, and he, he hides around corners waiting to catch you unaware so that he can just kind of smack you. And our culture says that sometimes God can be vindictive, that he is sadistic when we sin. And unfortunately, the average Christian tends to believe what the world has to say about God's love rather than going to God's word to see what God has said about his love for us. But is what the world really true? What they believe, is that really true? Well, what does the Bible say about God's love for us? What does God the Father say about his love for us? What does Jesus say about his love for us? And I think this is very important because Jesus commands us as disciples in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. He says this, the new commandment I give to you, that you love one another 
even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by our love for one another, all men will know that you are my disciples if, conditional clause, if you have love for one another. And this command was not only for the disciples at that day, but it's also a command for us to love each other. Amen? But we have to love each other the way Jesus loves us. And so let's see what Jesus has to say about loving one another the way God loves us. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 15. And our text is going to be from verses 11 through 24, but to set the context, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. So Luke chapter 15 um, is where we will begin, and uh, Jesus is going to teach a parable. And as we've already talked about, a parable is, it is a story that is told within the context of a larger life story. A parable is a story within a story. But oftentimes in Luke, in his parables, not all the times, but oftentimes, you will find an element of shock or surprise. Uh, somebody will say something. Somebody will do something. And it's in that element of shock and surprise that we see the power of the parable. So Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse, verse 1. Let's set the context. Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near to him, coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. And so Jesus is receiving tax collectors and sinners. Two groups in the Jewish mindset that were at the very bottom of the social ladder. Tax collectors, because, well, they were traitors to the Jews because they worked with the Romans to collect taxes, and oftentimes they would take a little more for themselves, and if you refused, well, they had the power of the Roman army behind them. And so the Jews hated tax collectors. But then you've got the sinners, those who don't follow after God, those who don't follow God's laws. And he's sitting, Jesus is sitting, and he is receiving tax collectors and sinners, those who were less desirable, those who were the dregs of society. And don't miss this, the Pharisees were sitting there grumbling because how dare this rabbi who says he's from God is receiving these sinners and tax collectors. Now, the Pharisees taught that there is joy in heaven before God when those who provoke God perish from the world. They taught that God hates sinners and that he withdraws from them. Therefore, Jesus cannot be from God. They also taught that God only rejoices when a sinner dies. See, the Pharisees represented God to the people. And so, Gregory, if you were walking towards me and I were a Pharisee, I would cross the street and walk down the other sidewalk. And that would tell you that God wants nothing to do with you. And that's what the Pharisees were teaching the people. God wants nothing to do with tax collectors and sinners. 
But is that true of God? Is that how God loves? Does he only love those who follow him and do what he says to do? Or is there something more? Well, Jesus tells a parable, beginning in verse 11, about a father who had a defiant son. Look at the text with me. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 13. And he said, this is Jesus talking, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Now let me stop here for a minute because what the son was saying was, give me my part of the inheritance. But when, when do you get an inheritance? When somebody dies, right? So what is the son saying? He's saying to the dad that I don't care about the family and that I wish you were dead. Give me that part of the estate that belongs to me. As a younger son, he would have gotten one-third of the estate. The older son, his brother, would have gotten two-thirds of the estate. And so this, this son says to his father, I wish you were dead. Give me what, what's coming to me. But there's a problem in this. Because in the first century, the home was ruled by the father. And children were taught to respect the authority of the father. And this son's actions brings shame upon this family. And it brings dishonor upon the family. Plus, the family's security is tied up in the estate. This is very serious in God's eyes. As a matter of fact, um, don't turn there, but over in, in Exodus chapter 20, when, when, Moses, when God gives the Ten Commandments, he says this in verse 12, honor your, mother and your, honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. And then, but God says something else. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, now turn there with me to Deuteronomy chapter 21. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 21, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then you hit Deuteronomy. Chapter 21. I want you to read the text with me. I'm going to begin in verse 18. So hold your finger in Luke. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18. If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them, then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. Verse 20, they shall say to the elders of his city, the son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Look at verse 21. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst. And all of Israel will hear of it and fear. God is serious about the children honoring their father and their mother. And this son has chosen to dishonor his father by telling him, I wish you were dead. Give me my portion of this state. And so according to the scripture, this son deserves what? Death. He deserves to be beaten. He deserves to be stoned. But look at what the text says. Look at the second half of verse 12 with me. 
So he divided his wealth between them. There it is. There is the first instance of shock or surprise. Rather than giving this son a beating and taking him to the, to the city gate to be stoned, the father gives him what he desires. He gives him his portion of the estate. This father, rather than giving the son what he deserves, is merciful to this son who has insulted him publicly. And so the, son, the father would have taken a portion of the land and some of the livestock and some of the slaves and given it to the son, and the son would have taken that and gone and traded that for money, and it would have taken a few days. But look at what the text says. Actually, back up. I want to say something else. Not this. Just like this father, God has always been merciful to us. Even in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our disobedience, God has always been merciful to us. Even in the Old Testament, in the midst of Israel's rejection of God, you know what God said? Look at Isaiah chapter 30 with me. Turn there with me. In the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 30, it's to the left. If you get to Psalms, you went too far. But look at what God says in Isaiah chapter 30. I'm going to, I want to read verses 18, or just verse 18. Isaiah 30, verse 18. This is in the midst of Israel rejecting God. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Isaiah records this. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. Did you hear what Isaiah says about God? That even in the midst of sin, that he longs to be gracious. And that he, he waits on high to have compassion. This is the God that we serve. Not the God of the culture, but this is the God that we serve. He longs and desires to be, to be gracious and to have compassion upon us, even when we are disobedient. Let's look at verse 13, back in Luke. Let's catch up with the son. Luke chapter 15, verse 13. And not many days later, so the son has taken his, his, the land and slaves and livestock. He's transferred that into money. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate in loose living. So the son gathers up his things, takes his, his cash, and he heads off on a journey. And look at what the text says, to a, to a distant country. Some place where he is outside of the father's authority. Some place where he is away from the father's influence. Some place where he can live life the way he wants to live it. You ever want to just get away to where nobody knows you so you can kind of do what you want to do and not worry about being ashamed in your sin, in my sin? I've been there. This is what the son has done. He has chosen to go away. And sometimes we do this very thing with God when we sin and in our disobedience. We want to get as far away from him as we can, as we can, so that we can do our thing and live life the way that we choose to live it. 
And that's what this son has done. He shows no appreciation for his, his situation, no consideration of the consequences, and he has no reservations. But what he does is, and the text tells us, is that he squandered his estate with loose living. And that's the idea of just casting cash everywhere. Not saving, not being responsible, but living life to the fullest. In Arkansas, we call that living high on the hog. Living for the moment to fulfill every desire. You ever have friends who come around when you've, when you've got something to give them, but when it's gone, they disappear? I've been there. That's where this son is. He has squandered his estate. And we don't know how long it took, whether it was a week or a month or whatever. We don't know. But what the Bible tells us is this. He, he squandered his, his inheritance. And this defiant son now becomes a desperate son. Look at the text with me. Luke 15, verses 14 through 16. Now, when he had spent everything, as it would happen, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. Let me say this. There is nothing that happens by chance. Nothing that happens by happenstance. Did you notice that this severe famine, not a regular famine, but a severe famine just happened to happen in the country where the son was residing. And the son has become despondent and dejected and discouraged because his means of support is now gone. And his desire for independence has caused him to now live in a state of continual want. And this famine doesn't help him. How long did the famine last? We don't know. But think about a famine for a minute. Most famines begin with a lack of rain or water. And when there's no rain or no water, there are no crops. And when there are no crops, livestock begin to die. And when livestock begin to die, people begin to die. And then disease shows up. And then everybody's discouraged. And that's what happens in this famine. It just so happens that this son's world has started to crumble down around him. And things have gone from bad to rock bottom. You know, when we sin and when we choose to be disobedient, one thing we cannot do is run away from God. David asked the question, where shall I go from your presence? If I'm in the midst of the seat, you are there. If I'm in the grave, you were there. And this son has thought he has gotten away, but God, God has a way. He has a way of making us pay attention. And so this famine shows up and this, the son has become desperate. Look at verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Remember, this is most likely a Jewish young man. And no Jew in his right mind, unless he's desperate, would ever be caught messing with pigs. 
Verse 16, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. So he has gone out, and he has found someone who will employ him. And Jesus says that he was made to stick like glue to this foreigner. He was dependent on this foreigner for his needs. There's a word for this. It's humbled. And this young man has been humbled. Now the rabbis taught, and this isn't found in scripture, but in the first century, rabbis taught that it was forbidden for a Jew to join himself to a foreigner, to a Gentile, and that this was socially defiling. And here this young man is, he is desperate and despondent and has joined himself to a Gentile. And then things go from bad to worse because now he's hungry. And the text says that nobody was giving him anything. The friends that he was partying with, they're gone. And as he's watching the pigs eat, the hunger pains are getting to him. And as he sees these, these carrot pots, will you bring up the picture? I think it's there. Okay, it's not there. There it is. These, these carrot pods, this is what the pigs are eating. And they, they, they had a little bit of jelly-like substance in the middle that was somewhat sweet, but had no nutritional value. And they were only eaten by people during times of desperation. And this is what the pigs are eating. And this is what the son is longing for. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around pigs, but pigs stink. I'm sorry, they stank. It's this Arkansas term. My grandfather used to raise pigs when I was a, a boy. He'd ever say, son, stay away from those hogs, they'll get you. And the smell was just, oh, it was so bad. And this young son is now living in a foreign land with no resources in a family that has hit the land. He's joined himself to a foreigner and he's watching pigs and feeding pigs and hanging out with pigs. And oftentimes, you hang out with pigs long enough, you begin to smell like them. And they don't smell good. They're nasty, and they're dirty, and they're filthy. And that is where this young man finds himself. But I've learned this, and that's this. Sometimes God will allow us to experience the consequences of our sin. God will say, you want your sin? Have at it. And oftentimes, our sin will wind up having us. But there's a lesson to be learned through that. And Jesus says that this young man, he kept on desiring to eat the pods that the pigs were eating to satisfy his hunger. That's desperate because pigs don't have clean plates. They're in the mud and the muck and the mire and everything else that's in there. And that's desperation. But there's no help for this young man. There are no handouts, there's no compassion, there's no grace, there's no mercy, there's no love in this situation. Because he made the choice to walk away from this father, from his father. And he has reached rock bottom. He's been humiliated, he is frustrated, he is hungry, he is disgraced, and he is desperate. But then he comes to his, I'm going to put this in quotes, he comes to his senses, and I'll tell you why in a minute. 
And the son's situation of desperation becomes one of divisiveness. Look at the text with me. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. And so he formulates a plan. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And so the son puts together this plan. And he puts together this, this little spiel. So when I go see my dad and the consequences are over, I can, I can tell him this and, and be okay. And a lot of commentators say that this is where the son came to this point of repentance, having realized his sin. I'm going to disagree with them, and here's why. Look at the text with me. Verse 17 especially, the son says this, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my, my father's hired men have more than enough bread? The, it's the hired men that's interesting. Look at verse 18. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your, what? Hired men. Go to the next slide, Stuart. In the first century, there were, there were three types of servants. The first was the household servant. And they were considered to be part of the family. But they also fell under the authority of the father of that estate. There was a second servant called the field servant, and they took care of the estate. But they were also under the authority of the father of that estate. You with me? There was a third type of servant, and that was the, the hired hand. The idea here is day laborer. They were not under the, 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 the father's authority. They would come, they would do a day's work, they would get paid a day's ways, and they would go about their business. Which of these three did the, father, did the son say he wanted the father to hire him as? As the hired hand, which means he could work, and still live his life the way he chose to live his life. That he could work and still be out from under the Father's authority. So I don't think this is true repentance. This is, here's a way to get food in my stomach and still do what I want to do and live the way I want to live. And so he wants to be a, a hired hand. But here's the thing, this divisive son will find out that he is a Dear son, look at verses 20 through 24 with me. So he, he got up and he came to his father expecting to get a beating because he has brought shame and dishonor to his family and he has chosen to accept consequences. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me stop there for a minute. Don't miss this. This son, who has been feeding pigs and taking care of pigs, and probably hasn't had a shower, decides to go home. 
And in the hot Middle Eastern sun, he's sweaty, probably a little rank, plus he smells like pigs, he's walking barefoot, and so he's probably pretty gross. But when this father sees him afar off, what's the father do? He feels compassion for this son. And he brings shame upon himself by gathering up his tunic, exposing his legs, and running to meet the son. No father who, is over, who has an estate would ever run in the first century. That would bring shame and dishonor because he has exposed his legs and it's not dignified. And yet this father forgoes that and he brings shame and dishonor upon himself as he expresses his compassion for his son. And look at what the text says. He ran and he embraced him. Remember, the son has been working with pigs. With the dirt and the smell, father doesn't care. He embraces the son and he kept on kissing him. Not a beating, but compassion. Compassion is when we, we are moved in our bowels, in our guts, to alleviate the suffering of another. And this father felt compassion on the son as he was watching for him. Look at verse 22. The son starts his field and the father cuts him off. But the father said to the slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. So this father has been watching for this son. And moved with compassion, he humiliates himself to demonstrate his love for his son. He embraces the son. He kisses the son. He initiates the reconciliation process. And the father begins the restorative process process. See, the father loves the son, and he's never stopped loving the son. And he expresses his joy and love at the son's return. One commentator has said that the return is more important than the confession of sin because it opens up the opportunity for the father to act. And so the father says, bring the best robe. Marks his place in the family. Put a ring on his finger, a symbol of honor and authority, and bring sandals and put sandals on his feet, a reversal of his circumstances. Slaves don't wear sandals. And let's prepare to celebrate. And the text says that it was necessary that they celebrate this son. Verse 32, the father says this, but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Heaven rejoices when a sinner repents. When one, heaven rejoices. I want to leave you with this. 
I want to suggest to you that the father in the parable is Jesus talking about himself. He was the one who was humiliated. He was the one who was dishonored and yet loved us enough to die on the cross for us. Do you agree with that? I want to leave you with three things. Number one, turn back. If you find yourself far away from God, if you find yourself having wandered from God, turn back. Because you will only find love and compassion from Jesus. He's not waiting to light you up, to to smack you, but he wants to love you. And if you've been gone, if you walked away from Jesus for any length of time and you're afraid that he won't ever receive you again, that's not what Jesus says in this parable. He's waiting and looking and longing to be compassionate towards you. Secondly, Jesus loves you. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, and you think that you just, your life is just so horrid that he would never, ever accept you. Think again. Jesus, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, he says this about the love of God. He says, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God, no matter what you've done or how long it's been. Jesus is waiting. Thirdly, and then we'll close, who needs to experience the love of Jesus from you? I think that's the bigger question today. Who needs to experience the love of Jesus from you? That aunt or that uncle or that cousin or that sibling or that neighbor or that coworker that has wronged you? What if we showed them the love of Jesus? What if we were Jesus in their life? What if we were just disciples of Jesus in their lives? I mean, didn't Jesus say in John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give you? That you love one another? Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And it's by this, by our love for each other, that all men will know that we are his disciples. If we love one another. God loves us with a love that we may never, ever be able to comprehend. But it is absolutely unconditional. And we need to love one another and others that very same way, that they might see Jesus Christ in us. Does that make sense? Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this parable where we, we... 
can have a better understanding of your love for us. That no matter what we do, where we go, or how long we're gone, you love us. And you long to be compassionate to us. You long to to be gracious to us. And Father, if there is someone here today who has run away from you, has been blatantly disobedient, but longs to come back, Father, get a hold of their hearts today and let them know that there is compassion and mercy that is waiting for them. And Lord, if any of us find ourselves running after our sin, help us to turn back today, right now, and confess that sin so that we might be in fellowship with you. And Lord, help us to love each other the way that you love us so that all men might know that we are truly your disciples. And may they hear and see your love and your gospel in and through us. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.